Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Jack. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Good. How was the, how was the travel up to Glasgow? The travel up was uh, long. I, sh- I should have flown, in hindsight. I should have flown. But you know what? There's plenty of time to think on a four-and-a-half-hour train journey, so lots of ideas for future hopscotch maybe up here and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was good. It was fine. Yeah. Nice you have the tunes on on the, on the train up? Uh, well, yeah, what was I listening to? Well, I was doing my DJ set on the way up, and I usually I'm quite actually meticulous with that, but I went out last night, and uh, I felt hideously hung over this morning so um, so I just chucked everything onto the USB and we'll see how it goes later on but in terms of I wasn't really listening to anything on the way up actually but in terms of what I'm listening to at the moment um, a lot of soul wax actually yeah a lot of soul wax that's cool and like are they Belgium are they from they're, Amer- they're American I think is that a studio they've got are in Belgium they? or something, they got, or maybe something like that yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't I'm not to be honest too sort of on with you know who they are and where they are and that's but I've just been soaking up the music a lot more new of them and new mainly knew the remixes they've done to be honest with you if you go like really far back into first album territory they're a grunge band sound like Soundgarden something like that so yeah I was just I've just been like deep in that and just like soaking it up how much music do you reckon you listen to like on average a week you must have got your Spotify wrapped back a few weeks back did you you know what I tell you what actually my Spotify wrapped is not it's not actually that impressive because I, like you said, I spend all week listening to so much that when I when I stop listening, I don't really want to listen to music, if that makes sense. Or when I do, it's just like the stuff that I know and love and, and comfortable with and, and, you know, just want to soak up and chill out and not really have to necessarily concentrate on. Yeah. Like I listen to the Soul Wax stuff, for example, if we're, like, if we're, on a, if we're on a train up or, you know, whatever it is, or I've got a bit of spare time just to sort of soak something up and... and and do a bit of research, I suppose, but and sort of enrich my knowledge. But yeah, in terms of actually numbers during the week, I couldn't really tell you how much, but it's a lot. It's oh, a lot. Yeah. I spend a lot of my time listening to music. Yeah. 
How do you find out about a lot of your stuff? Because like the Glasgow bands, for instance, that you've gotten tonight and you yeah. play on your show a lot of the time, they're not something. How do they come into your field of view? How do you first discover bands like that? So um, sometimes it's through supports. Sometimes it's radio pluggers who are sending the music through. I mean, do you know about radio plugging or anything like that? Okay, I'll explain for people who maybe yeah. don't know. But I mean, basically, radio plugging is uh, is bands pay a company or someone to take their music to radio stations and plug it, basically, and give them a big talk up and try and convince them to play it. So that's, to be honest, the, the pluggers is the main sort of source. Support slots is a really good one as well. Um, and I, m- myself, I'm just a lot of gigs anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, to one most nights. So. Yeah, yeah. I, well, not maybe most nights. I, the, the show kind of dictates kind of as and where. Yeah, yeah, just because we do a lot of we pre-record a lot of the interviews before the show, so we can get them sounding really nice and tight for the show. Um, so that takes up a bit of time for gigs and whatever. But you know, where, where I can, I, I'd say I'm doing at least one a week, definitely yeah, at least one a week. Yeah. yeah. And. The bands you have on tonight again. This is obviously your first time in Glasgow. Yeah, yeah. Does seeing Glasgow change the way you think about those bands and kind of does it maybe add something to the music and does it make a little bit of sense or? about them being from Glasgow? Yeah, can yeah. you see it like when you when you're here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, as in when I come across one of these bands and I can sort of be like, that's that can sounds. Can you tell us from a Glasgow? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, the way these. I mean, I think that maybe the anomalies in that would probably be uh, Ninth Wave. Yeah. Actually, I think they've got. Perhaps the vegan leather actually as well. I know they're not quite Glasgow, but they're kind of doing something different, though. And yeah, they're doing, like you said, they're doing something different, just like the Ninth Wave as well, and they, they kind of stick out a little bit on, in their own fields. But I think everyone else around that, there's, there's, I don't know what it is. It's just something really, really exciting about this place at the moment, and you know, the kids, the young people are picking up these guitars or whatever, and just really writing how they're feeling, and it's just it's translating really, really well. Across yeah. across the music, not not just in sound but lyrically as well. That's that's one thing that for me is really important when I'm listening to to new music is the lyrics and and how how people are talking within within the music because communicating how you're feeling in a song is a really difficult thing to do and if someone can do that well, that's really impressive for me. And I I always I always always use that debut album from Arctic Monkeys as a kind of like a barometer or like a marker for that for that sort of level because Alex was incredible at narrating life in Sheffield as you know a 16, 17 year old boy. You pointed out quite well yeah. as well some of what they've done doing now with Glasgow. I remember yeah. you said on the show when you interviewed them. And, yeah. and Declan as well. Yeah, Declan West, Declan West as well, but do it brilliantly. You know, he's he's out there singing about sticky dance floors and snogging one night stands and snogging people on there and does it so eloquently and then also, you know, crying on your mate's shoulder about something quite deep and personal at the same time. You know, to go from one extreme to the other is a is really impressive in the songwriting. Without Monkeys as well, were they one of the bands that hooked you? Who was it that first hit you and oh, reeled yeah. you into music? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, they they are my favourite band without a doubt. Yeah, they're the same, yeah. I mean it's I think most people you speak to within guitar music they'll you know, they'll feel the same about it. It's just that and I think that's how powerful lyrics can be. You know, Alex narrated, as I said, that whole experience of being young and, and living in a town and growing up there so well and so eloquently and actually um, in quite a funny way at times because the, the It's very humorous yeah, the they've got. Yeah. The observations he picks he picks up on in, in that album, it's like, oh my god, I've been there a million times, <laughs> you know, waiting in that queue and getting kicked out by the bouncer and then you're thinking about all those times you've done it with your mates or whatever and yeah, it's not it, it evokes a lot of emotion when yeah. you listen to it. I think yeah, and again just going back to the lyric thing, that's why it's so important for me. 
it's interesting to see how he's progressed as a lyricist as well and mm. where he's gone on the albums that follow it since. I mean, look I at Tranquility Base, for example. I know. Can you imagine, like, <laughs> if you listen to the first one, that he would ever produce something like that? It's amazing. But, yeah, I think actually that, and I was talking about this with um, Matt from the Amazons yesterday yeah. and, and that progression of, of how bands kind of grow through themselves. And I think recently bands have been a little... It's, you know, it's not been the easiest for bands, for number one. And I think because of that, they've been a little bit tentative to sort of push the boat out a little bit, try something different and go down these different routes because you don't want to necessarily scare people off. But the fact of the matter is, is all these people that are listening to alternative music are listening to all different types of music at exactly the same time. That's how people are consuming it all. You know, you've indie's got to changed a bit as well, what indie is. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. You can, I, I don't really like the term indie. I know my show is called The Indie Show. It's broad. Yeah, it's broad. But I mean, when you listen to your show, that's a perfect example. The amount of different music that you play on the indie show. I mean, you, you had Pendulum on last night. Yeah, like, we did. Thursday night, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we, went, we went down. We, yeah, we went a little rogue. We went Pendulum Slam. We played Chasing State. Chasing State as we Plan B and uh, Simeon Mobile Disco. Yeah, and it all went a little bit rogue towards the end of the show. It was good fun, though. But you, you're yeah. exactly right. Indie, means, indie has always been a broad kind of term for different styles but I think people have maybe got maybe maybe in the UK I don't know but kind of got caught up in this sort of cycle of guitar music and not being able to branch out and push out at all but it's happening it's happening now yeah I remember speaking to swimmers trans about them mm. actually and they were talking about how with their last album that they put out each track is quite different and they say yeah. because it's the way they listen to music with playlists and you can really see how that's impacted you know all the bands Declan Welsh is another one when you look at his debut album a lot of different genres he's kind of He's going through with definitely, that. mate. Definitely, and that's a really important thing as well, I think, because being able to for these bands to be able to step out there and feel comfortable enough to express themselves with the different types of music that they like is only going to be good for the genre and its development. Because pushing boundaries is what it's all about. You know, that's how you that's how the greats come about because they push the boundaries in whatever direction that might have been. Hundred percent. Something I wanted to ask about as well because I'm quite interested in. Yeah. How did your love of music, you know, that you're speaking so enthusiastically about there, translate to wanting to be a DJ? How did that start to come about? It was actually the other way around. Really? So I wanted to be a DJ, a presenter first and foremost. That was like when I was 15, my dad was driving me to school and we're sitting there with Chris Moyles on the breakfast show as a presenter. It was quite a cliche sort of story because he was the kind of, he was just the pinnacle at that point. But I was just like, this sounds like so much fun, this job. I want to do this job. And for me, that's all I had my focus on from when I was 15 years old. But it wasn't until I went to university and I started student radio that when I actually really started to get into music and I was listening to Zane a lot on Radio 1. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Zane. I was listening to Hugh a lot on Radio 1 as well. And although very different in styles, both infectiously enthusiastic about what they were talking about. And I just... I just fell in. I, I, like I liked indie music. I knew I liked it, but I just I kept falling. I kept going deeper and deeper and deeper. I was like spiraling through this like dream of all this different music, and then I'm finding myself in drum and bass and heavy metal and hip hop and house music and, and everything. And I just I knew that I loved everything, but I think refining in terms of translating that love to the radio and the presenting, it was perhaps about me finding my niche a little bit and what my what was my core what did I really love at the core what was I really passionate about well I know that was indie music I know that was guitar music and why did I love it and then for me it was just about communicating that to an audience and trying to explain the feelings I felt when I listened to it 
to them and relate to them. And I think with the show, that's I feel like that's what we're doing. Yeah. Do you know something you had from the art of the student radio? Was that always kind of present in what you do? Uh, the passion for the music. Yeah, mean? and like the way that it translates and people resonate with it. And yeah, know. oh, I was terrible at it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like when you start, it's like anything. Like you're terrible at it, right? When you start out, but you have to just keep practicing, you know, and keep going and going and going and going. And I did, and I persevered, and I got all the feedback and listened to the feedback and worked on it. And yeah, it's. I don't want it to sound pretentious when I say it, but it's kind of an art in a way being able yeah. to communicate like that because you're not, you're not. You're not talking normally like you and me are now. I'm in there on my own. Well, I've got my producers in there, but I'm just talking to the microphone. I think you have to hook people in. The other thing is, and it's probably why radio edits happen, is radio edits happen as well. You have to have momentum in a radio show. Yes. You have to people keep, keep people engaged and keep it going and keep it bounding forward. That was the number one thing for us on the show when we first started out. You completely hit the nail on the head there. The momentum of the show and the pace of it and the energy of it was key. Because... Yeah. I think Radio 1 didn't necessarily... Hugh was, Hugh was championing guitar music, but his show was very broad. Yeah. Radio 1 didn't have a very specific uh, indie show, guitar show, that really focused on it and had real thorough energy behind it. And I think guitar music was kind of losing its way at Radio 1 just slightly, but credit to them because they recognised that and decided to change things up a little bit, brought me in and... You know, for me, with my background in guitar music and loving that so much, I knew what I knew what I needed to do before they'd even told me. I knew I needed to go in there and <laughs> fire a rocket up its ass, right, <laughs> and just really get it going and get the fire and the flame going and get people excited and passionate, and not just the people that are genuine fans of it already, but also the people that stumble across the show and the people that maybe don't necessarily listen to this type of music, but communicate to them as to why they should maybe check it out. The aims that you kind of set down that you described there, mm. what other stuff? What other stuff did you kind of lay down before you went in? Do you have quite a clear plan? It sounds like you before we started the show, you knew you, it sounds like you knew what you wanted to do with it. Yeah, well, yeah. I think in terms of the presentation style, what what I just explained there, definitely knew how I wanted to go about that and do that, and how I would um, kind of connect with people. In terms of what we actually wanted to achieve with the show and what we wanted to get out of it, we wanted to be that platform for bands to be able to kickstart at radio. And transition through into Annie, um, and into daytime, and that that's that is our common goal. You know, the next the next big thing, it starts with us, and it's not just oh here's a play, oh and here's another play. That's it. We're moving on to the next thing because there is a, can I swear? Go for it. There is a shitload of stuff out there, right? There is loads of loads of really good music out there, but none of these bands, none of these artists will make it unless. I hammer the song because if I play it once that select number of people that are listening at that moment will hear that song and that's it if I play it 12, 15 times so many more people are going to hear it that also shows to the people listening that I'm very passionate about the song and I really believe in it and that I think they could go somewhere so I think really getting fully behind these bands and artists was a really important thing from the, from the offset I mean, you have to commit because not everyone is going to... There's probably quite a small portion of listeners listen to the show every night, start to finish. Yes. So you do just kind of have to kind of increase those odds of people picking up on it. Exactly that, mate, yeah. Do you think you've discovered more music as well since you started doing it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, the, the show that that I do, where Hugh was doing it, 
that's where I was discovering my bands and my new music anyway. But having done the show, you're kind of, or doing the show, sorry, you're kind of one step ahead of the game. So, yeah, I'm, we're playing all this stuff, but in the background we know what's coming through and what's potentially going to sort of make a bit of a riff when we eventually play it in a couple of weeks' time or whatever. So, yeah, definitely. So do you know as soon as you hear a track that that's probably going to be the one that you're going to push? I think so, yeah. Like something like, for instance, Rolling Mo. I know you pushed their last yeah. one, Half When You Die. Such yeah, a tune. great tune. Did you, you know as soon as you heard that one yeah. that you were going to... A lot, of it, a, lot of the, a lot of it is about gut instinct. It's all based on emotion, isn't it? Yeah. The reaction to it. That you there's like, uh, I say, obviously not naming names, but the, I'd say there's probably been one, maybe two, that maybe I felt like that I'd got wrong or that weren't actually quite at the level that we maybe thought they were at. Yeah. But most of it, or, yeah, nine times out of ten, times ten times out of ten, it's gut instinct, and you've got—I think you've got to trust that because that's—that's that's why I loved the music that I love so much. When I listened to Arctic Monkeys, when I listened to Foles, when I listened to all those bands, I knew I loved them because I felt the energy in my gut and the the fight and the fire for it. Yeah. And I feel that same thing when I listen to you know the new bands or the new artists that that we listen to and then play on the show as well. Yeah. You mentioned Foles there as well because I remember I watched your—you did the thing with them after the first yes. part of the album came out. Yeah. yeah. When you hear a band now, do you think, I want to interview that band? Is that something that kind of comes as soon as you hear yeah. you're really passionate about? Yeah, definitely. Do the questions start forming that early on as soon as you hear yeah. it? Yeah, 100%. I'm trying to think of, um, of an example, actually. Um, there's, oh yeah, there's this guy called Kenny Hoopler, who is out in America. I can't actually remember exactly where, but he's out in America, and he's, he's merging hip-hop and alternative music together. Kind of in a similar vein to maybe a Bacar or a Masterpiece, that sort of thing. Um, and I heard this thing, and I and and he referenced. Do you know the band? Um, oh, what are they called? Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I can't remember what they're called now. But it's a great band, a great indie band that he was referencing. And um, I was like, wow, I haven't I haven't heard that band in ages. Like how and how has he heard them as well? And suddenly all these questions just started sort of floating down and forming down. I was like getting my phone out, like writing them down. So basically you have to jot them down as soon as you hear them, yeah. just in case you end up speaking them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just, get, just get them down and go. And that, and that also just brings up a, a nice natural conversation as well when you're talking to these people. Yeah. Do you think some of the questions are like the good ones just stick with you though? And maybe you don't need to... I mean, some of the things we're speaking about now, I've mm. not got them written down, they're kind of just coming out because of things that stick in your head. Or... Yeah, it's for me... As long as you're going into that interview and you have done your research and you know exactly what you know pretty much everything about this band and artist, you can shape the interview how you want, but it can still be a natural conversation. So we can be going down the route of influences, perhaps. And I'll know about those influences already because I've done my research. But I can branch that. But I'll know that maybe one specific one um, came from a really funny story or funny place and I'd be like that one feels a bit out of place or that one doesn't feel there's, there's something I feel like there's something else here with that one yeah. And, yeah interesting and you know, oh well yeah there's there's this so and that 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 is a natural conversation but I'm kind of engineering it at, at the same time if that makes sense I don't want to I don't want people to listen and be like oh it's all fake then because it's not because it is all genuine passion but yeah. my job as the presenter is to know as much as possible about these bands and artists and communicate that to the people at home so they can get all the information and know how that they need to enjoy these bands and artists. 
So do you have a broader idea of the interview structure in your head as you're going through it? Yeah, yeah. So do you I, know where you start and where you want to end up? Yeah, um, especially in the smaller, the smaller, concise interviews. If we're doing a bit more of a longer form interview for something else, then it will. I just let it flow naturally. But when it comes to maybe like the next wave interviews, for example, which need to be about three minutes long, and I need to get as much information out of them as possible. It's tough. Yeah, it is tough. So I need to make sure my questions are spot on. They're exactly what the audience needs to know about, and kind of make it flow where I can. Yeah. Do you prefer the conversational conversational style, or do you prefer the next thing oh, yeah. week? Yeah, conversational is way better. Yeah, I do. I I usually write my questions down, but I don't look at the paper. They're just there in case something goes wrong. Yeah, just in case you did. Just in case. When you started off, because I also went to Kerrang after yeah. the student radio. Were you interviewing bands on that station from the early days, or when did the kind of? So I <laughs> I did. Uh, I wasn't interviewing them on the show, but I used the clout of Kerrang to go to like Reading Festival for example and set up interviews with bands and they never went out on air but they were just practice for me and I was actually this is actually quite funny I was thinking about it because I was listening to um, I was listening to Ed Shikari the other day and I, band. great band and uh, I was interviewing them at Reading I meticulously went over every single album to the point where I was dissecting the influences into such intense detail about their electronic influences, and I was like, "Yeah, this one's a this one's a bit this one's quite trancey, and then but this one's a little bit more like drum and bass, and almost almost dubstepy at times. You know, was that a sign of the times and all that sort of thing? And they, like all this barrage of information was kind of flying at them. And I, I, I remember the look on Rao's face, and him just like, "Who is this guy? Like, why is he so intense about our music?" And like that 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 when I look back at it, it was so embarrassing. Like it was so embarrassing, but. You have to make those mistakes, and that's what I was saying earlier on. You have to practice and make those mistakes before you can go on and you know do good. How long do you feel you did radio for before you started to nail it? You started to really hit your kind of sweet spot and your stride, and you knew how to like get the momentum and. Keep well, at every station I've been at, I've done a. I would say I've done a different job, in a way. Kerrang is all pre-recorded. Is it? I didn't realise that. Kerrang is all pre-recorded, but for as as an early as a presenter in their early stages, who clearly didn't know what they were doing at that point, at that point, it was a nice place to practice. It was a safe space to practice because I could record something, listening to it back, and go, actually, I need to you know do this a little bit differently or whatever. I could learn quite easily. Um, Radio X was all about um, all about that getting as much information into thirty seconds before you hit the next song as possible to leave the listener with something. And actually, that technique and that skill has translated over to Radio 1, but I knew what I always wanted to do, and that was be on Radio 1, talking about music. And so I think I'm currently in my sweet spot right now. However, I wouldn't be where I am without the opportunities that I got from Garang and the opportunities that I got from Radio X and the things that I learned through there. So yeah, I would say I'm in my kind of sweet spot as a presenter at the moment, not, not at my peak, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully I've got a little bit longer to go. But um, yeah, I think Radio 1 is a really, really good place for me at the moment. How did MTV differ as well to those uh, Completely, actually. Because your film, that must add, that's a completely new element. Yeah, well, I mean, I was, I was doing early, when I first started with MTV, I was interviewing like Royal Blood and Green Day and Biffy Clyro. Massive band. Which was huge for me. It was amazing. I remember interviewing Royal Blood. I was so nervous. Actually, no, Green Day. I was so nervous. Green Day was my first ever TV interview. And I did the same thing. And I, I reverted to the same thing that I did for M. Shikari. And I just tried to cram every single little tiny detail I could about that band in my head. And in the end, 
I couldn't remember anything because I was just so like, it was like I'm interviewing, I'm interviewing Green Day and I just stressed myself out. So again, I learned from that. But luckily, they had me back. Um, and since then, I've done a bit more poppy stuff. We've done like Life from V Festival and uh, Festival up in Liverpool this year as well, interviewing pop artists. And I quite enjoy that actually because, in a way, it's not pressure off because I've still got to do the job, but. I feel my personality can just relax ever so slightly in that world a little bit more because I think well, maybe the pop world is not so serious in terms of dissecting the music. Yeah. You've got quite a diverse portfolio, like everything you're kind of speaking about there with all the different places. Yeah. Do you like to keep it like that way, keep it? I mean, Hopscotch, that's another element of it because that preceded, when was that, 2015? It preceded Radio 1? Yeah, uh, yeah. so the Hopscotch was, was when I was at Kerrang. How did that idea kind of... Uh, I was in my... I was still living at home. It was the summer, I was in my garden. I was like, I want to do a night for new bands because I can't do it on Krang. So I want to try and do it myself. So I came up with this business idea. I pitched it to my dad. And my dad was like, right, here's some money. I'll help you start it up. But I want all that money back. And by this point, and if you don't, you're paying interest on it. So this was like a proper business deal that I basically struck with my dad. It's a good incentive though. It's a great incentive. Apart from when I booked my first band for £800. <laughs> and, yeah, and that was 80% of my money gone. Who was the first band that you uh, No, I'm not, I'm okay, not going to name yeah, names. I'll t- tell you afterwards. But, um, yeah, I, basically from that, as you probably gauged, I had no idea what I was doing at all. Right? And this is a brand new band. They're getting the odd play here and there on Hue. And I'm just... Yes, we'll play for 800, but yes, of course we will. I'm like, this is easy, of course. <laughs> so I expected loads of people to come down. Um, not 10 people came down um, for £10 a ticket. So I made, made a, made, well, no, I didn't make anything. I lost a huge amount of money. Um, and I had to very quickly and strategically think about how I was going to turn this thing around. Otherwise, I was in debt for my dad and probably actually going to have to pick up another job alongside Kerrang because I wasn't doing it that regularly at the time. Um, luckily, I spent my last £150 on the Amazons. Little, little band, the Amazons. The little old Might band. Have heard of them. Yeah, little old band, the Amazons, who were coming up just, and I picked them up just at the right time. It was lucky. It is sometimes you just need a bit of luck. I'd moved venue as well. It wasn't as big a venue. It was 200. It's now a 100 cap venue. Made money. Brilliant. Then but Will Joseph Cook when he was doing great at the time but bad sounds, they were doing great at the time and just sort of got this momentum rolling and the, the night picked up, uh, started to pick up a bit of a name for itself. Made the money back, gave it back to my dad and then I sort of changed the whole makeup of it and how we run things. I won't go into detail, so it's boring, but yeah. Basically, um, yeah, that was how it started. I got a bit lucky. Even that you've diversified though, because you did a tour like Apra and stuff for that. Yeah. How does that differ with your mindset heading into it? Because that's obviously yeah, the tour's a different undertaking. Taking, taking new bands out on tour is hard as hell. It's hard as hell. Let me tell you that right now. Um, these, we took, first one we took Yonaka, Antaros and Stereo Honey out on tour. You know, Yonaka are doing great now. Antaros, did, well, I mean, they're all doing yeah. brilliant, aren't they? But I remember one particular show in Sunderland that, um, well, it, it goes down in history, let's just say that, as being, um, <laughs> as being quite iconic for the Hopscotch tour, where I reckon, again, 10 people turned up. For a bill of Yonica, Antaros and Stereo Honey, Sunderland weren't having it. They didn't fancy it. But that's how it goes sometimes, you know? Some- I had a lot of luck in promoting. 
Yeah, for new bands as well, you you really got to work that really, really, really hard. And so learnt some lessons on that first one, and the second one was much better. And you've also done the nights in London as well with the secret headline. Yeah, layers. which is now. That's, you must have to build yourself to a point where you can put a secret headliner on, because that's it's tough. Yeah, Getting people I, to come down when they don't know what they're going to say. Yeah, I I wouldn't be able to do that without Radio One. Um, helps with my connections and yeah. stuff like that. But also, I think the attitude and energy that we give out on the show and offer on the show, all the bands and artists that have played as secret headliners share that as well yeah. and understand that that's a really important part of it. And all those bands, all those big secret headliners have all played for free. They've all played for free because they've bought in to the value of the night or they think it holds value and is a great place for alternative music to thrive. What is the, the venue you do at London? It's actually quite refreshing to hear that as well, that bands are still that interested in building like a sense of community and help. It's amazing, isn't it? Grassroots, I, yeah. I, honestly, I really, it was an idea I had, and I pitched it to Frank Carter's team, because we got on really well when they came onto the show, and they loved it. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I can sort of work this out elsewhere. And we do it at, the Seabright, at Seabright Arms in yeah. London, and it's, uh, it's a pub, and it has a basement venue. Uh, actually, it's very similar to King Tut's, but the opposite way around. So rather than the venue being on the top, it's underneath okay. the bar, right? Is it 300 cap as well? Around that uh, a, a bit smaller, 200 cap. 200 cap. And they very kindly um, give me money to book the smaller bands to make sure the smaller bands are getting enough cash to at very least cover their costs because I don't want to leave them out of pocket at all and I want it to be a rewarding experience for them. And that's part of the reason we do the secret headliner thing as well, because when we book the secret headliner, there are queues out the door and the venue's packed for the first band. And so, for example, Heavy Rapids, who we had on recently, when they come down all the way from up here to play Hopscotch down in London, they don't want to pay to 15 people. Being first on, you know, they want to play to a packed room. And you know, it wasn't like full full, but it was packed. You know, there were loads of people in there watching them. and. Loads of people have great things to say about them afterwards, and that's rewarding and worth their time. So that, yeah, that's the other reason that we that we do it. It kind of it gives bands that again, like you did with the show, gives bands a platform, introduces them to new people. And, and that's what I wanted. To, that's what I wanted it to be from the very start. I love booking the secret headliners, but and making those moments. Don't get me wrong, but it is about the new bands for me, yeah. and giving them a moment and a chance to thrive. Do you think that's a through line throughout all your work from? student radio to hopscotch to radio one trying to give bands a platform isn't that something that's kind of carried yeah. the whole way through yeah we've always done, we did it at student radio as well me and my friend uh my friend produced it and i presented it we did uh we did a new music show and we did sessions with bands in this little box room and we tried to mic them up and did it horrendously and the mixes were terrible but we still did it and it, yeah it's always been the theme that's run through everything that i've always done and tonight in glasgow at king tut's why did you decide to put that gig on in King Tut's? Why did that? I, because of how exciting the scene is up here and because of the mantra that Hopscotch holds, I wanted to reflect that. But I didn't want to reflect it in London. I wanted to reflect it. I wanted to reflect it where it's happening at this moment in time. In a way, it almost draws more attention to it as well. Because people are like, why is Jack Saunders trekking all the way up to rainy Glasgow to go and to go it's and been a lovely a show? day actually today. It has actually. It's been, it's been very day. dry. You've got lucky. Yeah, we got lucky, didn't we? <laughs> but I, 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 know, I know what you mean, and it's almost it's like pulling the spotlight from London up to Glasgow even further, you know. Which is incredibly important. We're all like down in London. We are all guilty of um, 
expecting everyone and everything to come to us and revolve around us. It's where the majority of the music industry is. I'm not bashing the music industry, by the way. It's just, it's just how it is. So it's never going to change. It's all yeah, exactly. Um, so for me, it was really important to cut that cycle a little bit, get out of that bubble, and go to the place where the excitement is. And that's not me jumping on the bandwagon. That's me with the thought process going. Actually, I want to use the clout that I have and hold and do some good with it, like a like an indie Batman, right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, like Robin Hood as well. Yeah. Uh, any vigilante you want me to be, I'll be it. <laughs> I've got a couple left. I think we're you're kind of pushing it. Okay. Yeah. I've got a few left. To, I thought when I was looking through your career and kind of revising it and studying it, there are various landmarks. We've got student radio and then Kerrang, then Radio X, Radio One. We spoke about all them. Hopscotch. Mm. But there was one that I thought was a particularly big landmark, and that's Gogglebox. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what? Gogglebox was a huge landmark for me. It really was. That was so much fun. Yeah, so, it looked so a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. How did um, you, when did you get asked to do that? In... Uh, I got asked to do that very last minute, actually. Um, they asked Youngblood to do it, and then they knew that me and him are kind of matey, so um, well, our matey, our friends, yeah. Um, and so they asked me to do it alongside him, which is great. And so I had a lot of people asking me, oh my God, is that your house? I was like, First of all, no, that, isn't, that wasn't my house. Is that Youngblood's house? It's not Youngblood's house. Did they just put you in a house? No, they put, so what they did is they rented out a room in the Langham Hotel, which is a hotel, quite a posh hotel next to the BBC. Um, and they rented it out and just stuck us in it last minute. And so, but I had loads of people coming up to me going, was that your house? God, you're doing well. I was like, no, trust me, that is not my house. Um, yeah, and it's, I, I don't know whether I should give away how they recorded it or but not. I don't know whether I'm going to crush some drinks. Did they put a, did they put a camera like next to the TV, or how does it actually work? So uh, they have a small TV, and you're sat on the sofa. You've got snacks in front of you. They've got the camera just behind the TV. And then this is the bit that's going to give it away. You watch 20-minute segments. So you watch specific 20-minute segments of the show. So the segments that they put in, you yeah. watch those bits, and they kind of give you context around it. And then you you react to it as you do. But sometimes there's I don't even I don't actually know if I should be giving this. Away. They... No, I don't think I should be. I don't think I should be giving this away. I don't know. I don't. I'll chat to you about it after. I'm yeah, yeah, after. Yeah, yeah, good <laughs> idea. Yeah, but yeah, it was a lot of fun, mate. What sort of stuff were you watching on it? Um, I watched? did watch it, but I can't find it online to revisit we it. We watched. Uh, the classic Halloween film, Halloween. We watched um, Strictly Come Dancing. We watched The Chase. And it was another game show as well. Oh, University Challenge, which I got a question right on, by the way. That's a tough, that's a tough game show. I know, it's a tough game show, and I'm <laughs> excelling, clearly. That was good fun. Yeah. Got one left. Yeah, go on. Are you familiar with the band Suede? Suede? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of Suede, yeah. I know yeah. Suede. I'm, I've been reading his memoir lately, his oh. first memoir. So oh, yeah. I was watching interviews with him and stuff on YouTube, and he was on the Swedish talk show, and one of the other uh, guests on it had a record collection of only two albums. That was her entire record collection. Okay. The Beatles Revolver yeah. and Sgt. Pepper, and that was the only two records she had in her collection. But a big music fan. Yeah. If you had to condense your record collection to just two albums. Oh, my God. That's what two albums? That's a great question, mate. And why? Really good question. Oh... I wish, you'd, I wish you'd warn me. We're going to be here for a while. No, no, don't worry. No, no, it was a really good question. Um, hold on. Right, let me think about this then. Is it, it's kind of like a desert island situation, right? If I can take yeah. you with me sort of thing. Okay, it's going to have to be the debut album from Arctics, as we spoke about before and how much I love them. That's one. 
And the second would probably be, see, I want to say Songs for the Deaf by Queens, but oh, I do love that. I'm going to say Songs for the Deaf by Queens, yeah. both those albums. Two very good choices. Yeah, two fantastic albums. And um, Songs for the, I've spoken about why I like the Arctic album earlier on, but Songs for the Deaf uh, opened my world to uh, rock and roll. Probably one of the best rock albums of all time. Yeah, it is one of the best rock albums of all time. But opened my world into all sorts of different, um, just all sorts of different styles and ideas, and how um, how you can go about writing rock music in different ways. And I mean, they're a fascinating Josh, band because they're evolving door members and changing it yeah. up all the time, and keeping it fresh. It's Josh Homme. Josh Homme is just an absolute wizard. It's amazing. Is that your favourite Queen's album? I go like like Clockwork. Oh, I, I like like Clockwork. Yeah. There's some great songs on there, yeah. but culturally and how important it is, songs of the death. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Mate, thank you for having me. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Cheers. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.